Welcome to Engage 360, Denver Seminary's podcast. Join us as we explore the redemptive power of the gospel and the life-changing truth of scripture at work in our culture today. Hi friends, welcome again to Engage 360 at Denver Seminary. My name is Don Payne, your host. Really glad you've joined us for this conversation. It would be difficult to count the resources devoted to helping people grow in one way or another. Stop and think about how many Christian conversations, sermons, talks, podcasts, and other efforts are devoted in some way to helping people grow and helping us pursue our own growth, especially in our relationship with God. Now, if that subject is of any interest to you, then this conversation is going to peel back some of the popular, familiar surface layers and take a bit of a deeper look into one of the most critical factors for genuine, sustainable growth. That factor is feedback, which may sound simple, but if you stop and think about it, good, meaningful, informed, empowering feedback can be quite difficult to find. So to guide us through this, we have our three professors of mentoring from our training and mentoring department, uh, Deborah Anderson, who is chair of the department, uh, Terry Elliott Hart, and Nathan Shearer. So, welcome to Engage 360. I think some of you've been here before, but if not, welcome. Thank you. And welcome Thank back. You. Yeah, thanks. Our, our three faculty members of mentoring uh, work in a facilitated, mentored, self directed uh, learning situation with our students. And this has been at the heart of our curriculum for 25 years now. So, they bring a lot of experience and a lot of expertise to this. Uh, let me throw out kind of a general question first. Why is feedback so crucial to our growth? What role does that play uniquely in our growth? I can kick us off. Um, when we're talking about feedback, we're talking about a, a tool that helps to increase your capacity for self-awareness. So maybe a good place to start is a story. I'm thinking about one of my students who just recently finished her sequence of courses with TM. And at the finish line, we ask our students to think about some of their strengths as a learner and some of their opportunities for future growth. And this student took it upon herself to also ask her mentor and some of her closest relationships to, by giving them the same list, stack up their perception of her strengths and weaknesses. And then she kind of stacked them all next to each other. And when she did that, she discovered that one of the elements she had identified as a learning strength of hers, everyone who knew her and supported her and loved her identified that same quality as an opportunity for growth. Okay. So this student discovered that the criteria she used to self-assess a, a strength in her learning uh, was not the same criteria used by the people in her life and context. Oh. So as you can imagine, that kind of unexplored discrepancy would lead to you know relational friction or workplace conflict or an out-of-touch view of yourself or, or any number of things like those. Students who come to uh, Denver Seminary will consistently claim that they're growing in their self-awareness. It's a really popular word. But oftentimes what they really are getting at is they're growing in their familiarity of themselves. It's kind of this, uh, what I've heard Deb call uh, self-referential sentimentality. When in fact, self-awareness is relationally attested. So true self-awareness kind of requires various sources of feedback for us to deeply know. Otherwise, we again, are just merely self-referential in the way that we view ourselves. So for this student, that took reaching out and procuring that feedback to better understand the discrepancy between her self-perception and 
the way that her relationships perceived her. This is really interesting because I, I don't think I've ever heard that type of distinction made between self-awareness and what you call self, self-referential, what? what was it? Sentimentality. Sentimentality. Yeah. yeah. Uh, say, say more about that, that difference, that distinction between true self-awareness and that self, self-referential sentimentality. I think you can contrast it with introspection. We often think that we grow the more that we think internally about ourselves. And that seems to lead us to insight. And that, that's true. There's a, there's a piece of self-awareness that's internally formed. But the external self-awareness is what I think most of us are learning to do, to learn how we impact the world, rather than just to think so highly uh, of ourselves, or even lowly. I mean, we do that internally as well. Um, but how we impact the world is something that we cannot know outside of relationships. We cannot know without feedback from our environment, others, the Holy Spirit of God. (laughs) I think if we think about it in a leadership development context, this trend, I don't know how long it's been, probably more than 10 years, but a 360 feedback kind of loop, right? So executives or managers, the idea that even just one boss, right, even just one person who watches you work doesn't give you, and your own thoughts and reflections, don't give you enough of a picture of yourself. So the separation of it's great to have self-awareness and that's also in the business and leadership world right now there's lots of books that use self-awareness in the title but um, the folks who are really doing research around that are trying to make this distinction that um, as Deborah and Nathan have both said it's relationally attested which does not sound like how could self be about being relationally attested but even in that if you think okay a 360 um, feedback kind of loop it's for your growth it's for my professional development but in order for me to know myself well, I have to know how I'm perceived. So I think that's a really interesting and very Christian also, but uh, it has that very practical wisdom of we can't deceive ourselves when other people are giving us that feedback. Right. And, and the obvious assumption in all of this is that genuine growth depends upon some level of healthy self-awareness, mm-hmm. right? Yes. Mm-hmm. So that would be connected. And I think one of the exciting things when um, Nathan and I were doing a little work last year on thinking about the things that get in the way of self-assessment and self-awareness, and I started to think theologically, um, and there's many connections, but sort of this essential search me, oh God, right? Know my heart. Try me. Know me. Try me. This is not like a pop psychology sort of trend. It's... Mm -hmm in relationship with God from the beginning, there's something about living in a way that says, God, know me. And it must be for a purpose, right? Because God does know me. So show me my heart. Um, The idea of even God will give you the desires of your heart, but our desires are shaped by the Holy Spirit. So thinking about a fundamental relationship with God that has to do with holding up a mirror to ourselves, and somehow that has to do with our human flourishing, if we're willing to look at ourselves. And I think whether that's looking at, uh, because we need to be able to turn toward God and away from sin and life that isn't God, uh, right? That kind of fundamental Mm -hmm. knowing of self. But then I think it's part of our ongoing transformation as well, that we really do have to be willing to be seen by God, by others, and see ourselves truthfully to grow, not just to be (laughs) self-deprecating. I think think Mm -hmm. criticism when I hear the word feedback. That's not the only thing that it means. Mm-hmm. Sure, sure. Yeah, true. Help us connect the dots between feedback 
and this kind of healthy self-awareness that that you have in mind how does how does feedback foster that in a way that uh, we're, we're pretty much unable to get at by ourselves yeah feedback's going to help us shape our perspectives um, it's going to help us draw new boundaries around what we think is true about ourselves and how we impact others. It really holds a mirror to our thoughts and our feelings and our actions so that we can see how we might be closed to new views that could lead us into some sort of new freedom or knowledge or power. Um, it also helps us to step out of that introspection with, because we receive more objectivity when we receive it from other individuals. Um, it removes our delusions. Um, we, we are often guilty of being a little delusional, particularly the higher up we go in any leadership, uh, because we tend to get less feedback the higher mm -hmm. up we go in leadership, or at least real feedback. Um, so we tend to believe our own PR. And we we're, we're like to be overly confident in America. Um, but delusions that we have can help us to make us overestimate our abilities, to overestimate our empathy, our adaptability, our effectiveness and collaboration. So that's one of the benefits of feedback is it helps to reshape our perspective and it helps us walk away from any kind of illusion or delusion uh, toward objectivity. Yeah. You're, okay, Deb, you're putting your finger on something that has intrigued me for a, a long time, I think, and that is why feedback, the kind of feedback that can genuinely help us know ourselves and grow, is so difficult both to find and maybe sometimes difficult to receive it. And it may be difficult to give it as well. But I'd love for us to talk a bit about the challenges, the various types of challenges involved in finding and receiving and in giving the kind of feedback that really does have the potential to help us know ourselves and grow. Mm. What are, the, what are some of those challenges? Why is that so difficult? I'm always impressed with um, the student who will reflect back to me how they're so excited that their mentor challenges them. Uh, part of our program is we get to watch them interact okay. at least a few okay. times, right? So sometimes if they sort of just start doing their natural way that they relate and they're not just yeah, describing their relationship, okay. you can see it. Because I think it's really hard really, if, to, if we're honest, right, to say, I just love, I'm so open to criticism. I just love, I know I grow from, I mean, we do know that it might be true, but people who seek it, I think there are some, maybe it's a personality type, a learning style. I'm assuming there's a humility posture. I mean, I know just personally, right? That's the piece of like self-revelation that comes from, I, I'll take feedback, but I'm going to carefully select who gives it to me because I have a feeling I know what she'll say. But to have a student say, I'm so excited that it's required to have a mentor because I know I need someone to challenge and keep me like they already know they want this. OK. So I think there is a probably a consciousness that needs to come. Either that has to be coached or a natural sense of I will not be everything that I need to be as a student, as a person of God, as a pastor, unless I'm letting somebody challenge me. And mm -hmm. I love that posture. So that does take mm -hmm. a lot of courage mm -hmm. to, to genuinely be open to that. Um, when we realize that some of that feedback may not always tell me what I want to hear or affirm what I already am or what I already think, mm -hmm. right? May I attach to courage there a sense of 
agency for the individual, that mm. if they have a clear understanding of the goals that they do have, then pursuing feedback actually can be empowered by understanding that they have the agency to seek after it. So uh, an appropriate kind of appreciation of the role that feedback can have towards meeting your goals can have its own kind of motivational consistency for the individual. Mm. Yeah, to, to attach with what something each of you said, um, Nathan, to go off of that, we don't receive it because we don't seek it out often. Um, mm-hmm. what, is, what do we call that, the Dunning-Kruger effect, where we think more highly of ourselves and what is really true about ourselves. They call that the better-than-average effect, I think, in their research, uh, that we will rate our abilities better than average. And w- most of us will do that, which makes that statistically impossible because <laughs> if most of us think that, then we're not better than average. But that's what also prevents us from seeking feedback and to connect with what you were saying, Terry, our relational systems aren't set up for the kind of feedback we need for growth. Mm. Uh, when you think about, uh, particularly people in leadership, like I was saying, the higher up you go in leadership, the less feedback you get. It's because the system isn't set up for it. You don't get a 90-day review when you become a VP, or you don't get the six-month review. Or if you've set yourself up with a, a board, they might not actually get around to that work of giving you that candid observation kind of feedback because there's a lot of other good work that they do. So we just tend not to have the structures relationally to get that kind of feedback. But in our in our program, our students have that structure built in and they're benefiting from that structure. Right. Well, for, for those who are maybe in leadership positions where getting the kind of feedback they need is increasingly difficult. Mm -hmm. Do you have recommendations? Uh, How how should people go about? I mean, this is all on the assumption that we all continually need feedback, no matter who we are, no matter what our positions are. We need that. Yeah. But if, um, if, as you say, we, we can sometimes find ourselves in positions where people are less likely to give it for whatever reason, uh, how do we go about getting that? Well, it speaks to feedback literacy, which is a term we've been tossing around lately. We'll go and seek it first. We have to be willing to go seek it and then know what to do with it, apply it, make meaning out of it. So as, for example, I know a particular pastor who has asked the board of elders over and over again, will you give me a review? Will you give me a review? And it has just, they say, we'll get around to it. And so he's really begging for that kind of feedback. It shouldn't be that hard. Um, so even when we ask for it, we might not get it. But that's the first step for, for all of us is to ask for it in different ways. I, I want to come back to that. But what, what are the thoughts do you I, all have on that? I wonder if there's a way that if we think too hierarchically about where feedback ought to come from, that we do at some point maybe get to a place where we don't know where to look. So what I mean is, is that if we think like sort of above, right? And that can be true of a mentoring relationship that some people think I will learn the most if I have someone who is however many steps ahead of me, whether that's discipleship or work. And I think for feedback, again, part of the 360 is usually you get someone who might be in charge of you or who you report to, but you also get feedback from people who report to you. So I think if we're taking proactive kind of I want feedback, who are we willing to get feedback from? Mm-hmm. Do we think that maybe someone who 
maybe we need to let go of some what does it mean to be qualified to give feedback, okay. right? Because there's multiple angles of our our presence. So things like I hear of you know school principals who sweep the floor when everyone leaves, even though there's a custodian, but there's something about she wants to connect with her building, so she does that. If somebody noticed that, what does that say about her? But that wouldn't have to come from the superintendent of a school might not see it. So what do teachers and parents and students, right? Like, who are the stakeholders that you would make a difference to? Are we willing to hear from all of them? Or do we think we've run out of people because we're in a position where, oh, the elders won't do it, so who's going to? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Would it also be the case that we may have to even take an additional step and and proactively give those individuals permission Mm. and somehow create a safe space for them to do that so that, particularly if in a hierarchical organization of some sort, if those are direct reports or people who are you know, use hierarchical language, kind of down, down line organizationally from a person. Um, even to invite that feedback can, can feel very unsafe to a person if they feel like somehow, directly or indirectly, that might come back on them. So uh, what suggestions, yeah, that? how do you create sure. that safe space for people actually to do that in a way that uh, it's going to be beneficial and safe? That might speak a little bit to relational culture, right? I think, mm-hmm. Deborah, I mean, which we can't solve, but it's really nice when we get to just name what we think is a cultural oh, sure. issue. Right? Yeah. So if there's a culture that uh, that someone has an opportunity to create, that feedback is normal, and maybe call it different things. There's observation. There's non-evaluative feedback. Mm-hmm. It's really like I'm open to understanding my impact on you. Uh, but I, I think safety is important and there's probably wisdom in people who are afraid to give feedback to people right they might have a good reason to know that it hasn't gone well but how do you enter a space and say i want to make this a place where people observe each other and they ask a good question i'm not sure but yeah well there's there's no like a culture shift yeah probably no end to the the list of of people and experiences those people have had where feedback Mm. well intended has has backfired on them somehow. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. Gone gone very poorly one way or another. Yeah. Mm. yeah. At the end of the day, you have to make a judgment based on the feedback you receive, whether that feedback has been positive or difficult for you to receive. If I was if I was going to go through a process where I wanted to increase my own feedback literacy or my own capacity for using the opportunities possible from the feedback I'm receiving, I'd approach that in two ways. One would be by monitoring So that would be more on drawing information from my environment. So this is more the internal reflective processing on what is the feedback my environment is giving me on my productivity, my own efficacy, how I'm being perceived. But then two would be through inquiry, which is what we're kind of getting at here is directly eliciting feedback from other people and taking that initiative as an own agent. But again, at the end of the day, you have to make a judgment on the feedback that you receive. And I like to think of that in terms of recalibrating. So the broader swath of feedback sources that you can engage will help you reinform your own kind of self-assessment in the judgment process there. And as you make those judgments, recalibrate what your assumptions were, your expectations were to the feedback that you're getting. So if you have a broad pool to draw from, Mm. you can kind of dial back on the ones that are more harmful or a less appropriate and kind of funnel into the ones that have practical application that you can then go act upon. 
This is, this is really helpful. I love your insights. Let's switch this around for a moment and think about it from the vantage point of those who would be the givers of feedback. I think we've probably all seen l- loads of examples of people who well-intentioned, offered feedback, and for whatever reason or reasons, it ended up being uh, not received or maybe even being harmful. And and again, there there could be a lot of reasons for that in the in the dynamic between any two people. But what what advice, what guidance can you offer to people who can and should be giving feedback for the sake of others, so that that feedback has the has a greater chance of being received and being being fruitful. Mm-hmm. One of the one of my favorite kind of conversations to have with students and their mentors when when I get time to spend with them is around this idea of challenge, which is a kind of feedback, right? So, and I'm seeing a pattern, and I like to affirm that when you seek to challenge someone, it's not arbitrary. You're not just looking at th- ways to poke the bear in mm. your mentee. Um, <clears throat> what the mentor is doing is attending to that person and what they're speaking to, how they're living their life, and they're looking for the gaps that exist between what that individual says they want or what they see as their future, what their goals are, and any gap or discrepancy between that and how they're actually behaving, what decisions they're actually making. And then the mentor's job is to just shine a light on those things. Hey, you've said you want to grow in this way, but you're consistently choosing this. Do you see that gap? What do you want to do about that, Mm -hmm. right? So the challenge exists as an invitation to see the truth Mm-hmm. And then a platform for that individual to express what they want to do about that discrepancy. Mm-hmm. So in a similar way, that kind of feedback from the giver uh, is less about I've determined what the only criteria of right and wrong is for you and more about uh, reflecting back to the individual the goals that they've expressed in reality to the environment as you perceive it and seeing if there's an invitation for them to seek a better way forward. Yeah, I love, love the way yeah. you express that, Nathan, because that feels, to me anyway, much less attacking yes. mm-hmm. than possibly many people, ex- the way they experience feedback that's given, whether even if it's wise, appropriate, well-intended, but somehow it often it's received as or experienced as an attack, mm-hmm. an assault of some way. Is that mm-hmm. fair? I think that observation is a form of feedback. So assuming that if I'm going to give feedback that it includes o- uh, evaluation or even analysis isn't necessarily true. So I love that example, Nathan, that even at asking a good question, a, a person could leave one's presence if you're a good f- men- mentor who gives good feedback and not have heard advice per se, you know, not have heard, oh, I think you did that wrong. They might experience, wow, you asked really good questions, but my intention is feedback. Because if the, if the point of feedback is better self-awareness, then if, if the person comes to it on his or her own, even better. Mm-hmm. They're not depending on, oh, she interpreted my experience this way and told me it was good or bad. But asking a question that might lead a person to see what I see, knowing I might be wrong, but if I'm right, it could be really helpful. So I think sharing observations, uh, which would mean sharing space together. Mm-hmm. You actually have to kind of walk through experiences together. And then even if you just observe, the person mm-hmm. might have might then hear something. So I think about that in giving feedback. It can be a natural 
listening and asking good questions. It can be, I noticed this. That's feedback, but I, I don't have to put a judgment on it mm-hmm. for an adult. You both, you both mentioned the element of asking questions, which really stuck out to me, which puts some of the agency back in the, back in the hands of the one who's receiving the feedback, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we, I think you both also pointed out the difference between feedback and advice. Um, I've heard feedback called filling a blind spot. Uh, as a quick definition, it's different from advice. Advice is more about expanding the scope of someone's knowledge, uh, and that feels optional. You, you <laughs> can decide for yourself, do you know that or don't you, and what are you going to do with that? Feedback is more about uh, providing something that the other person may never see on their own. Hmm. And so it dips into some very personal places because th- they are blind spots. Uh, so we need, to, we need to give it carefully. And I think, Nathan, you, you brought up a good point that we need to give feedback that really connects with what a person values, uh, mm. what, they have to, what they want to do in order to grow. What do they need to learn in order to grow? And that's going to that's gonna be that place of value that our feedback needs to attach to, or it's not going to be very usable to that individual. I remember when I was a child, uh, the pastor of our church got some feedback from someone in the congregation (laughs) that the candles were distracting. The flicker of the flame in the candles was distracting. And the pastor had no category for this feedback. It wasn't relevant to him. And so that wasn't authentic feedback for him. So it needs to attach to what uh, what the individual finds to be hmm. important. Our feedback needs to provide evidence of their their effect that's relative to their intent. What is it they are trying to grow in? That's where our feedback's going to have the, the deepest roots. Wow. Because I've conducted lots of trainings about feedback, I'm realizing now how surface level most of my trainings about feedback <laughs> <laughs> have been. Um, they were well intended, uh, but only only went so far. I really appreciate your your perceptions and your your probing insights here. I know y'all have used or you do use the language of self managing, self monitoring, and self modifying. Tell us what you mean by that. Yeah, these descriptors come from self-directed learning theorists, uh, Kallick and Costa, and they believe that these describe people who are self-directed and who can construct meaning and insight from their life experience. So people who are self-managing, self-monitoring, self-modifying are the kinds of people who can continually search for alignment between their values and their actions. So, and of course, as as people of God, uh, we learn to know and to follow the guidance of the Holy Spirit who leads us into all truth. So as people who are being transformed, we seek to align with that will and the character of God, and we put away those old ways of being. So this really merges with how do we relate this to the Holy Spirit's work in our transformation? I was, was going to ask you about that. If how, we're, working, if we're yeah. helping to align between our values and our actions, where this feedback has really taken us into theological spaces of what do we believe the Holy Spirit can do mm-hmm. in our lives? How much will we trust him with, our, with who we are? Yeah, the, the way I was thinking about that was the, the popular notion, I, I know you all have heard it, that we, we really— we really can't grow ourselves. We can't mm. transform ourselves. Only the Holy Spirit can do that, 
right? I mean, clearly the, the Spirit of God has a, a, a pivotal, crucial role in that, but what that role is sometimes gets strangely pitted against mm-hmm. at least the language of self-managing, self-modifying. Mm-hmm. So when we're using that kind of language, how do we dock that with what it means properly to mm-hmm. depend upon the Holy Spirit? Mm-hmm. Yeah. We could add another self to it. I mm-hmm. was thinking about Ignatian uh, spirituality and the um, self-examination, right? So I think it's a, uh, so briefly the idea that basically a person uh, as a way of discernment, as a way of connecting uh, with God and uh, trusting that they can hear from the Holy Spirit might go through a practice in prayer of just asking or it's self-examination in the light of the Holy Spirit. So you ask yourself, where have I seen or experienced God's love today? Where have I been far removed from experiencing God's love? There's lots of different language, but I think the idea um, of that kind of practice around this um, wonderful old gift of spirituality from the Ignatian tradition is that the self-examination is not other than God. There's no separation between what I'm doing in my spirit and God's presence with me. Mm. So it doesn't have to be either or, but right. that question is, I'm coming before God, I'm asking myself and God the question, sort of this simultaneous, and believing I can get insight. And then you do something with it. I heard you say action a few times, right? So in that practice, it's, and what will I do tomorrow? I repent for the th- ways that I was separate from you, and I seek to, you know, I-, I have hope because I did also experience life with you today. I feel like that's feedback in a way. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. believing that if I ask that question, I can, and I may have to train my spirit, so to speak, to hear it. Um, yeah. But if I ask God, where were you today? What do you want from me tomorrow? I mean, that kind of relationship with God in prayer is asking for feedback. Mm-hmm. Yeah, divine feedback. That, mm-hmm. that, that is a sort of feedback loop yeah. with the Lord, right? Is mm-hmm. that what I'm hearing? Yeah. I think at the end of the day, we're looking at, are, are you passive or are you a participant in, in this journey with him? Mm. Uh, kind of getting at that second Peter, make every effort. Um, right. And that, right. that leads us to a kind of knowing of who God is in our life with him that's deeply interpersonal and necessitates a lot of his energy, but a lot of our participation with him in the process. Yeah, it never negates responsibility or, or agency. You mentioned the word action, and I guess maybe a final question. What, what does it look like to assess feedback that we're given and, and take action on that feedback? Now, implicit in that question is the assumption that we, we may get feedback that is not helpful or good feedback. And so we're the, the receiver of feedback always has to do some kind of assessment, right? What does it look like to assess feedback and then be able to take action on that? We often have conversations with our students about how to assess the feedback or how to even just move through the resistance that feedback can often mm. garner in us. And that takes some skills, too. So we talk with them about how can we involve others in this? You've received feedback from one, and Terry was alluding and talking about this. We receive it from one individual, but we probably need it from more than one. In fact, I heard a local organizational psychologist, Tasha Yurik, she has this rule of thumb that says if that feedback, that opinion, that, if that idea is coming from one person, that's an opinion. 
Uh, but it's something we can consider, but it's an opinion. If it's coming from two people, that's a pattern to be aware of. And if it's coming from three or more, that's a fact. So seeking out feedback from more than one source, that's a fantastic action to take on that feedback, to follow up with it with other people. But also using our past as a resource to help us evaluate the nuances of the feedback. Have I heard this before? In what context do those contexts have something to say about that, the way I, I was impacting them? And can we attach feedback to our relevant need? If it's going to be helpful, it's got to touch our lives. So we have to be able to evaluate it in light of who we are mm. and what we find to be valuable. If it touches our values, it will increase our motivation to then apply it. So those are just some, oh, some ways we talk with our students about what to do with the feedback you get and how can you integrate that into into your life. I'm going to bet that it would be more challenging to do what you've suggested, Deborah, with positive affirming feedback than it mm. would be with challenging feedback. Because if somebody gives us some, some really affirming feedback, I mean, isn't it our natural instinct to just take <laughs> that as gospel and, and, and run with that? Uh, is it Maybe this is a leading question, but is it just as important to to vet and look for patterns with the positive feedback that we're given, so that we're not, you know, not just buying into that immediately because some person likes us or they happen to resonate with something about us or something we do where the the pattern may be otherwise? I mean, is it just as important to vet positive feedback as it is challenging feedback? Of course. Right answer. I told you it was a leading question. There's certain relationships in your life that might find uh, benefit to giving you what it is you want to hear. So your evaluative judgment needs to be sharpened through practice. But assuming that an individual is on a lifelong trajectory of growth, whether that's professionally in the workplace or in the relationships or as a person uh, following Jesus, uh, you're going to it's going to require ongoing feedback to help you assess the efficacy of your adaptive process over time, right? You're going to garner feedback and you're going to take action on that. How do you know if that action worked? Well, you're going to need more, <laughs> more feedback. And so as you do that, mm-hmm. you're probably going to receive positive feedback that is going to demonstrate to you that, yeah, I'm headed in the right direction. So vetting that for the truth also fits into the total trajectory of how you're growing okay. as a person. So okay. it serves good function there as well. Okay. And you want to look at who you're receiving that feedback from as well. You want to look for feedback from people who are loving critics, not mm. unloving critics, mm-hmm. and also not uncritical lovers. Yes, that's it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It look for those people who who love you. Uh, you they know that you're faulty. <laughs> Um, they're not so overly impressed by you, but look and and listen to that rather than the people who you know are just being critical. You don't know this or intend this, but that's really affirming to me because, <laughs> because I can remember years ago frequently telling students who, uh, many of whom were headed into some form of pastoral ministry or maybe other kinds of ministry leadership, that the more experienced and and maybe more proficient they became at what they uh, were doing, the more difficult it was going to be to get feedback that would help them continue to grow. And what they needed was people who mm-hmm. who take them very seriously, who love them deeply, but who are not impressed with them or intimidated by them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is hard, harder and harder to get. I think it is. Yeah. 
that yeah. that combination which you just pointed out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. As the person increases in power and authority yeah. and their self sort of management, right? We we see that happening, unfortunately. Yeah. They're they're yeah. distanced from anyone who would be willing to give that kind of feedback. Yeah. Well the thread I'm hearing in our entire conversation is the 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 crucial role that feedback plays in personal transformation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in, in discipleship and mentoring and any kind of formational endeavor, mm-hmm. uh, as well as our own formational pursuits, feedback is a crucial, crucial element and is as equally um, nuanced, delicate, dicey, difficult as it is crucial. I don't want to make it overcomplicated, but we've all seen, I think, how easily feedback can Uh, go off the rails or can have a counterproductive effect. So learning the Mm -hmm. skill of giving and learning the skill of receiving feedback are maybe about as important as any other element in formational activities and formational Mm -hmm. endeavors. Relationships. Yeah, Yeah. right. Mm -hmm. At the the end of the day, that's what we're talking about are relationships. It is, yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah. Well, thank you all three for these insights, for the time with us, for the work that you're doing with our students that I know is paying and will continue to pay cascading layers of of impact on the people they serve because of the way you've served them. Yeah, our professors, Deborah Anderson, Terry Elliott Hart, and Nathan Shearer. Thank Thank you for having having us. Friends, we're grateful that you've chosen to spend some time with us. If you get the chance, please leave us a rating or review wherever you listen to podcasts. And please send any questions or comments to us at our email address, which is podcast at denverseminary.edu. Our website, denverseminary.edu, has plenty of other resources you can explore, such as events, degree programs, and also more episodes of Engage 360, including full episode transcripts. We're really grateful for your interest, for your support, and for your prayers. Until next time, may the Lord bless you. Take care, friends.